Hello, my name is Filipe Ferreira and this is Nova Economics Club Podcast Connected. Today we are going to talk about Ukrainian immigration and its economic consequences on the European Union. Today our special guest is Professor Katia Batista. Um, she is current professor at Nova SPE and she is the founder of Nova SPE Research Center, Nova Africa. She's also a former professor at the University of Oxford and Chicago, and she has several papers on international migration. Professor, welcome. How are you? Thank you very much for having me, Philippe, and I'm very willing and uh, looking forward to our talk today. Great, thank you. Uh, so, our first question, um, migration is always about people and culture shocks. And for some reason, uh, people in Europe seems to be more open and European leaders seem to be more open to migration than they have been in other migratory waves, such as the Syrian one in 2017, where some, case, some countries even closer their borders. Um, what can this mean in terms of social disruption for European countries? Um, and um, what, what does the literal sa literature say that can help explain or predict the natives' acceptance to different groups of immigrations. Okay, that's a lot of topics, Philippe, so let me try and make sure that we don't forget to answer any of these topics. So I would say that first, it is absolutely true. So we are facing with this um, refugee inflow from Ukraine. I mean, this is totally unprecedented. I mean, we are, um, if, when we compare to what happened in 2015 with Syria, where we had half a million refugees arriving to Europe and we suddenly saw populist movements, all of these xenophobic uh, discourse against these refugees, these immigrants, and yet now we have seen one million people arriving in one week, four million people arriving in five weeks. I mean, this level, uh, I mean, these inflows are at the level of the Second World War. Uh, the previous war that generated this kind of um, migration refuge or refugee influ influxes was um, the Bosnian, I mean, was the Yugoslavian wars, and total of, I mean, the whole war was two million people. So now, in five weeks, we have four million, and yet everyone is uh, really welcoming. There is solidarity, and I guess here, I mean, the crucial idea for this solidarity, I think, is that people identify. We all think it could be us. And so, uh, and this is very much according to theory, okay? What you were saying about what does the literature predict in terms of these um, sentiment against, or I mean, or not, uh, the migrants, a lot of it says that it's this degree of um, identification. So the literature has looked a lot at this concept of identity, of groups um, being much more welcoming to others that they, that they perceive as similar to themselves. In a way, it is always the fear of the other, the fear of the different. And this, I think it's the most powerful force uh, towards um, acceptance of others, of being welcoming. And so, I mean, in terms of, so maybe an interesting story, an interesting study is um, this study that was done uh, by this researcher in California, Salma Musa. And what she did was, so in the context actually of the, of the Syrian, um, of Syria, um, so what she did was she organized uh, a football championship, I mean, soccer. So in the Ameri for Americans to understand. And so, uh, and well, the idea is that, I mean, I, 
you know, the North Africa, Middle East, Europe, we, everyone is crazy about football. And so she organized this league in which you had um, Christian teams. But then, I mean, this is an experiment. I like very much uh, experiments for those that don't know the methodology. And so here, the, so, uh, and an experiment here in short is what we call a randomized control trial. So the same methodology that we use to test for new medicines, for immunizations, that's what we use to test policy interventions that can make a difference in people's lives. And so in this specific case, what she did was she had some teams that were fully Christian. So teams that were, there was homogeneity. They were all belonging to the same group, same identity, okay? Then you have another one in which, so this would be the treatment, okay? So the policy intervention where uh, these teams were mixed, okay? They had half Christians, half Muslims, okay? And then what she did was, so they, they for, I mean, during these uh, championships, they were obviously practicing together, playing together, being teams. And so at the end, she measured things such as, uh, well, first of all, whether they wanted to keep practicing, to keep being part of these same mixed teams, okay? They, she also measured uh, their, um, yeah, their, so it was about their willingness to keep practicing and being part of mixed teams and also their willingness to um, say, I mean, for the Christians, so she looked at, at, she did this survey for the Christians, whether they would be willing to nominate a Muslim colleague for a prize. Okay, and in all of these, uh, the idea was that the mixed ones really had much more open, were much more open to this, to being in a mixed team, to nominating Muslims for, uh, for prizes, and generally speaking, their attitudes and their feelings in terms of discrimination were much better. So this is an empirical study, an experimental, experimental evidence that provides support to the so-called theory of contact and theory of contact is proposing exactly this that when you have more contact with others that are different from you your attitudes change your behavior change so i would say that often i mean this will be important and if we just look i mean this is hard hard evidence published in the best economics journals but if you just look at say political evidence recent i mean you look at Brexit, you look at the election of Trump in the US, and that's exactly what you saw. That's most of the support for these uh, Brexit anti-immigrant speech was coming from areas without immigration, areas that were more economically deprived and where people were really against immigrants without knowing them. Because, and of course, this is all endogenous, since we are all economists, we can talk about these things. I mean, correlation, causation is not easy to establish in this context, if you just look at these uh, statistics or at the distribution of votes. But when we go and test these hypotheses, we really see that there is empirical support. So um, not sure I, I got to all of the points you were suggesting, but I think that's the evidence we have. The reason why we are much more accepting now of these Ukrainian refugees is because Europeans are perceiving them as themselves, okay? It could be me. And this is exactly according to what we know from the economic um, well, theory and evidence. Yeah, you, you touched on an important point, which is possible arising of more extremist and nationalistic, nationalistic parties. Um, because Portugal has so many countries which are isolated from immigrants, um, can we expect the same uprise of such political or movements that are more protectionist or um, nationalistics because Portugal has indeed more divided groups. Um, 
So yeah, here, um, I'm, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure of the evolution, but one thing I, I'm sure of, so, and this is an important point, which is so far, everyone is very welcoming. But actually, so yesterday I was having this meeting with the uh, municipality here of Kashkais because we are th uh, thinking of doing some work with Ukrainian refugees that we are getting, like a barometer to follow them, to follow their well-being needs. And when we were talking to the person here that is organizing the welcoming of refugees, she was mentioning that actually what we see is many people that are volunteer to take refugees in their homes, okay, and then they realize, oh, but I mean, they, they welcome them, but then uh, she was saying that she must make sure that they realize that this could take months, okay, before people becoming, I mean, maybe they get jobs, they become independent, they become autonomous, which is obviously the objective whenever you welcome refugees is that they become autonomous. But uh, so the solidarity is the initial reaction that we all have when we are shocked with these images, with what is happening, etc. But now, how will this evolve over time? And this is your question, right? So will really, will we keep being um, in solidarity with these incoming refugees or when the crisis hit and yeah we are seeing already inflation rising and we'll see other consequences right so are people going to keep being so uh, i mean uh, to to keep being in this um positive mood or can can it be somehow transformed into populism i i think here actually we do have an important role because usually the way this happens is i mean and we have seen this before is a lot through for example, fake news or taking a story, I mean, some facts and distorting them in a way that bring people against, okay, that make people against um, the others and so and rise uh, and, and give rise to this uh, xenophobic idea. So I would say that our role here is exactly to provide evidence and to talk about it in simple terms. So it's it's what we usually call communication of science, as we are doing here. And as I think, I mean, we as university, you as students, we all have a role here in spreading the word that, I mean, as much as we know what refugees and migrants do, I mean, and, and for refugees, it's very important to allow them to work so that they can fully integrate, and this is all over the, the literature. But if this happens, actually, there are a lot of benefits because instead of uh, this xenophobic populist claim that immigrants will come to steal your jobs, to depress your wages, what you see is the exact opposite. But this message is not obvious. And if we don't get the word out, if we don't show this, uh, then, I mean, we are always at risk uh, that the, the opposite happens, right? And I think, I mean, this is for Portugal, but this is for Europe. And indeed, one thing that I think that has been very positive, we, I mean, well, everything is very bad and really tragic and dramatic in the war, obviously, so that's the first point that needs to be made. But I think the least bad part of that is that in Europe we are seeing people getting together, okay, getting together at the center, at the fundamental values of Europe, like uh, freedom, okay? And so this is the positive thing, but this is the, th I mean, even, and, and I'll say this is positive because even Eastern countries such as Hungary, or Poland, that's, uh, we're getting a bit uh, far uh, to, from the political, uh, these political values that should be at the core of Europe. I mean, even them, I mean, they all got together. And I think this is something very positive, but for this not to um, disappear, okay, because now with the economic crisis, I mean, tensions will happen. It's very important that we keep these facts in mind. And indeed, that the European policies that have been put in place, also in Portugal, that refugees arrive 
and they are immediately put on a regular path. So they have documents, they are allowed to work. This is super, super important. Now, back to our parallel with the Syrian crisis. What happened in 2015, a very nice study, I would say, showed was that because Syrians in most European countries were not given the right to work when they arrived in 2015, Europe, Europe lost 40,000 million or 40 billion euros. Okay, it's huge. It's a huge impact. It's a huge loss just because they were not immediately given the, the right to work. Okay, so now we are facing an influx of people that is eight times larger. Okay, fortunately, good policies are in place in terms of integration in labor market. And we know this is very important, not only for people to uh, feel valued, but to become autonomous. This is all very important, not only for the economy, but also for the integration of people. Okay, so, but anyways, these are facts that we need to put out there to avoid that there be some kind of um, populist rise uh, on the uh, piggybacking on this, as happened actually in 2015. Okay, thank you. Um, now, another issue is that typical, typically this, these people that immigrate, they, are, they belong to the active population, they are younger, meaning they will have to pay taxes if they come to work, and they will come mm -hmm. to work but they typically don't receive subsidi subsidies such as pensions, which means that in most cases there will be a net benefit to the government. Um, as they also bring children with them, this can help European countries, um, especially South, South countries, um, in their issues of aging of population and both their indebtedness. Um, do you think that this is a valid um, solution to this problem or is this um, population shock not s significant enough to be ch to to make a change. Yeah, I think. Well, again, there are many parts to the question you are asking. Let me see if I can answer all of them. So, for sure, we know that um, most. I mean, in I mean, this this kind of evaluation has been done in many different countries, and we do see that public accounts benefit from immigration. So that's clear. Um, from all immigrants on uh, on average, okay? Now, um, looking specifically at this influx of uh, Ukrainian uh, refugees, they are being allowed to work, so in principle, that should work as well. Now, the point here is that, I mean, it's the uncertainty. So we are recording on the 1st of April, although we are trying not to have anything related to April Fools, okay? Uh, but just to say, okay, just to mark the time in which we are uh, recording this because of the uncertainty. Right now, no one can say what is going to happen to this war. We don't know who will win. We don't know for how long this will go on. It's virtually, I mean, no one can predict this, right? And so because of that, we also don't know what is going to happen in terms of this refugee inflow. So it could be, I can, I can make scenarios. I mean, I cannot assign probabilities, but I can make scenarios. So one scenario is one where the country is so destroyed that these mostly women and children that have just arrived, I mean, I mean, after the war ends, the country is destroyed, and maybe, well, the fathers of these children, the, the husbands of these, of these women that are arriving, decide to join them and stay in our country, or in other countries in Europe. 
but it could also be that I mean somehow the the efforts of reconstruction are strong. I mean we have seen other countries actually in Africa that are torn apart by conflict, but then with the help of international donors they are rebuilt and people. And, and we have seen a very strong Ukrainian sentiment. Maybe that is enough to bring them back. And then a um, few people are left in Portugal and in the other countries in Europe. So these are two different scenarios with very different consequences. I would say that, okay, so here, this should bound the effects, right? Okay, so the effects should be somewhere in between. I would say that even in the well, most negative scenario, which is everything is destroyed and so people decide to come to other countries in Europe, which is obviously negative overall in terms of um, yeah, what, what will happen in terms of the war. But even if all of these people join us in Portugal and the other southern European countries, our problems in terms of demographics, the aging of the population, our problems in terms of social security, they are too bad to be solved by this, okay? I know the numbers are very significant, but they won't be enough to solve it because it's too serious. But they could be a, a, a positive contribution. Okay, so I do, I do. I mean, and all that all that we know leads us to believe that yes, this would be a positive contribution, both in terms of having more people, more young people joining us, and uh, more people working and supplying um, these. I mean, what we are seeing in terms of labor market is when we look at the labor market, so, uh, some sectors such as uh, the health sector, I mean, we do see that there is surely a shortage. I mean, during the pandemic, we just saw that, right? So, uh, in, I mean, medical staff were just burnt. Okay, I know a pandemic, it's not every day, but the situation was already there before. We already did not have enough nurses um, and, and doctors and other medical staff in the uh, in our Portuguese uh, national health system, and so this is a problem. Now, the good thing also about this Ukrainian inflow of people is that they are very highly educated. Okay, so we have this uh, the enrollment rate in Ukraine uh, in higher education is 85%. We know that in Portugal. Okay, we have about one third of people graduating from college. So this is just for you to see the gap. And the other thing we know from um, what we know about international economics and international migration is that migrants are typically, I mean, the further they go, the more positively selected they are. Okay, for economists, we know that this means that these are the richest, most educated people. So the Ukrainians that choose Portugal, that are willing to travel this far, we know that it is obviously because we already have a sizable uh, Ukrainian immigrant community, but they are likely to be really very well educated, much more than the native Portuguese population on average. So this could be really a very significant contribution, I believe, very positive on all accounts, but now it won't be enough to solve our problems because they are too big, but they could be a nice contribution. And again, here, met, let me make another point that is, uh, what about immigration overall? Because here we are now looking at, very, at this very specific, very um, striking and important and dramatic event, which is this inflow of refugees, but we could talk about immigration at large, and we know as you mentioned before in your first question, Philippe, that um, we have not been so welcoming to uh, refugees and migrants from other destinations, destinations that are not European, that are not Europe, or um, and for example, I mean these migrants that are coming from Northern Africa or from uh, Sub-Saharan Africa, and I mean 
that is the country that is exploding, that has a, a demographic uh, pyramid that is inverted to us because we are all getting old in Europe and they have an exploding population, a lot of young people needing jobs. So in a way, you would think that, well, that's the exact match. Those could, well, I don't think they could totally solve the problem, honestly. I think we have to do much more in terms of reforms in our country and in our economy to be able to solve these problems. But they could also provide uh, a contribution, a positive contribution to uh, making our economy more dynamic, to solve problems in public finance. Uh, but the thing is, uh, this kind of, of, of uh, recognition that we need to allow migrants to work is not being done for, this, for these African migrants. And African migrants are generally much less educated. But again, I mean, if we look at our labor market, okay, and by the way, inflationary pressures, they are coming well, from all the disruptions of the pandemic, of course, from the oil prices, but they are also coming because we have these labor market shortages. And so all of this could be also a positive contribution. And so this is just to say that uh, when we look at the labor market and when we look at uh, more, uh, less skilled jobs, okay, I mean, and this could be, again, it could be in healthcare because you have different levels of education needed for different tasks, but it could be, uh, say, supporting elderly people, which is typical of aging society, so this will only get worse, and I mean, here, you could really have a very pos positive contribution by these people, and yet, we do not have the ways to allow these people to come regularly, to come with a visa that allows them to work, um, that allows them to contribute for social security. And I think we should have a broad perspective on this problem, okay? Of course, we need to, to now take care of Ukrainians arriving, and I think the policy in place is good. We just need to check if it is going to be uh, well applied in practice, okay? We always should distinguish that because Portugal is always at the top of the rankings on immigrant integration, like our laws, they are top, they are par, at par with Sweden, okay? They are the best, really, in Europe, uh, in the world, actually. Uh, but then the practice, we know, we have done lots, I mean, here at Nova, we have done a lot of work with immigrants in Portugal, and we know that oftentimes they don't know how to get regular status. They don't know how, how they can use uh, health systems, and then they cannot be productive in their work, of course. So I think here we need to take a broad perspective, okay? Now, taking stocks, so yes, Ukrainian refugees can contribute positively to our economy, to our uh, public finance, uh, but we should look for other migrants, providing them also the uh, conditions so that they can contribute productively and they are never isolated in society. Uh, and then, of course, I mean, to solve these problems, we really need to look at our economy, the way it is organized, and try to make it, um, I mean, to make it, to, to work better. <laughs> okay, but then that would be another episode, I guess. That's not for today. <laughs> Moving on to the next question, we move to this hot topic, which is the impact that these immigrants might have on the native's wages, especially for the low skilled. Now, the most recent research and the most uh, popular economic textbooks and papers um, is that there is no clear evidence that the immigrants uh, have a negative impact on the wages, for the low, especially for the low skilled. However, older research um, has concluded that this may not be true and that indeed it may have a negative impact. So our question to you is where do we stand on this point and what can we see um, in this particular case with Ukrainian immigrants? Well, thank you, Philippe, for that question, which is extremely important. 
And this is something that I think most people don't know about, and it's very important, actually relating to your first question on uh, how we can prov uh, prevent the rise of xenophobic sentiment against immigrants and against this these, uh, wave of, refugee, of refugees from Ukraine. So I think here it's very important, and uh, the reason why the literature went from the basic um, a textbook model in which you increase your supply of workers, hence you decrease the wages, is that we started looking at, well, the whole labor market. We started looking at characteristics of workers. We started looking at the fact that some workers are more educated, some are less. And uh, actually also we have estimated elasticities of substitution between different groups of workers. For example, one thing that we found is that Immigrants are never perfect substitutes relative to uh, natives, okay? And so, and if, uh, I mean, and why are they not perfect substitutes? Because of what we said before, which is um, this idea that, I mean, whenever people don't belong to our identity group, when people have a different nationality or a different color of skin or different levels of education, we, I mean, we don't really regard them as equal. Okay, and so uh, of course we can do we can have policies to uh, decrease this discrimination, but it exists, and that's exactly what we measure when we estimate uh, these elasticities of substitution. And what we see is then that native workers in the host country are never harmed by immigration; their wages never fall. Okay, so what we see is that. Highly educated workers, native workers, they benefit the most from immigration. They are most complementary. But even low-skilled workers, native workers, also benefit from immigration. Okay? The only group that is already in the host country that suffers with immigration are former immigrants that are already in the country because those are much more substitutable. Okay? And so that's exactly what the latest evidence has shown. Okay, and uh, initially the literature was always on the United States. More recently, we have evidence for the whole of OECD countries, and we see exactly that. I mean, the numbers vary a bit, okay, between, say, I mean, not much higher than, than uh, zero, so like 1% to more than 10% effects, but they are always positive. The only negative effect we see is uh, are focused or concentrated on former immigrants. Now, one thing that uh, also uh, makes these effects vary is the education of the immigrants themselves. Okay, and so what we see is that um, the inf an inflow of highly educated immigrants, like the case of these Ukrainian refugees, is particularly beneficial for the economy that receives these migrants. So, and examples are, well, California, <laughs> I guess, I mean, uh, the whole innovation, uh, the tech innovation that we see, well, uh, those are mostly people that were not born in the United States, right? Uh, but uh, a classical study is also one that looked at the experience of Israel and of, of the experience of Jewish um, coming from Russia to Israel. There was this huge inflow in the 90s, and what was seen it was everyone's wages increased a lot. And uh, the idea is simple. The idea is that these people bring uh, human capital positive externalities. You know, the ones that Lucas promoted first in the 88 paper where he was saying that economic growth is based on human capital externalities because we learn from others, we learn together, and all of this is very positive. So these immigrants bring new ideas, bring um, 
I mean, this idea of it's basically to do with diversity. It's about reaping the rewards of diversity, and education makes it much easier. I mean, if you think of, in terms of language, obviously, I mean, this is a barrier, and if it is. If, if, if it is not there, it's much easier. And then also in terms of this discrimination and prejudice that you get, have against others, when you see highly educated migrants, uh, usually people are much less discriminating and so they can enjoy more or can, they can share more, we can make better use of their skills. So I would say that uh, in terms of these uh, inflow of Ukrainian refugees. Um, this is some. I mean, this is um, from the point of view of the host country, and I think of the of the people themselves that are arriving. I think this is really a win-win situation. Uh, well, arising from a, a very unfortunate situation, of course, but this is, I mean, all very positive, um, and that's the the only bright side in this uh, in the world that we are seeing. Thank you. So moving on to our final question, we would like to discuss a quote from Professor José Crespo Carvalho, uh, in Observador, which I will now cite. And if there are 30,000 Ukrainians well-trained, used to hard work, fighting against strange bodies and inhospitable climates, then this could well change the profile of work in Portugal. Now some studies, namely from the National Bureau of Economic Research, have concluded that people that come to new cities, these immigrants tend to be the ones with more entrepreneurship uh, skills and thus tend to create new firms and new jobs at the host country. Um, do Can we expect these Ukrainian immigrants to have these characteristics as described by Professor Zuzekis Carvalho? Um, and if so, can this have um, long-term benefits for Europe? Okay, so... I, I'm not. Uh, I'm not sure of the exact quote, so I won't comment on that. But um, that is exactly. I mean, the evidence we have is exactly according to that. So several studies, actually for California again, uh, show exactly that. That um, uh, migrants that are highly educated and usually they concentrate in cities, right? These are the types of migrants that tend to be more innovative. That tend to conduct. That have more um, entrepreneurial characteristics. And, and the example is exactly that uh, that uh, we were citing before I mean Silicon Valley the tech uh, um, explosion all of that is a result of highly educated immigrants uh, were coming well perhaps from cities to cities <laughs> and so uh, yeah I'm, I'm very according to that idea that's the exact idea that uh, diversity and, and the gains uh, from um, yeah, the, 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 these gains from bringing new skills, new ideas, uh, they are put together and make for um, a more dynamic economy, which is precisely what we need in Portugal and in Europe. Okay, thank you. This was all. Thank you. See you next time. Thank you.